Good morning. To make sure I got my lid on really good because last night in the late service, I didn't have it on. I spilled coffee down in front of my shirt. And if you've never done that in front of hundreds of people on television cameras, that's, you just have a lift. So I make sure I get a great. By the way, isn't the coffee great? New Spring Coffee, is just, it just rocks. Um, before I get started, let me just take a, take a moment to talk to you about Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas Eve services at New Spring are very intentional. If you're a New Springer, you know this, and you've been here for a while, you know this already. If you're new to New Spring, then I need to let you know what, what Christmas Eve is like. It is a full-blown New Spring experience. In fact, we actually move our weekend to the Christmas Eve time so that there will not actually be a service next Sunday here. There'll be one, a virtual service on the internet, online. You can get on anytime during Christmas Day and celebrate online. But all of our services move to Christmas Eve. We have two on Friday and three on Saturday. And uh, there'll, you know, Ryan will lead worship. I'll bring a full talk. Kids World's going to be up and robust and happening in all the services except for the final service on Saturday night because that allows our Kids World workers to experience Christmas Eve at New Spring. But it is a full bore service. And let me tell you why we're really intentional about this. There are many people who will attend the Christmas Eve service who wouldn't attend any other time of the year. And so, so many people come here for the first time. And then they'll come back in January, and then God will do extraordinary things in their lives. I just had, on a, on a sad side, I, I had a service for a gentleman last week whose family had invited him, and he came for the first time last Christmas Eve. And his life was just transformed. He became a radical new springer and, you know, brought his friends to, to Christ. And all that started when he came to Christmas Eve service last year. So that is so important. I, I, the last three uh, services, I've tried to encourage people to get many invites, which look like this for Christmas Eve. And always said, I feel sad if I receive many invites after, after the time. But everybody just took me at my word and they wiped us out. So see these? This is one of the last ones in the free world, okay? It is going away. And, and I just appreciate all of you who, who use many invites, and I've, I've kidded you about this before. I've always said, I invite people to New Spring, but I don't want them to know I'm a minister because it kind of freaks people out. So I always say, hey, my church is doing a series, and my pastor is going to be talking about, and, <laughs> and I always think they're going to come and they're going to see me on stage and think, that guy is weird, which is probably true anyway. Um, but... I was at McDonald's last week, and a new springer came up. I, I told this at First Wednesday, so if you were here, just bear with me again. But I just really appreciated what happened. I was having breakfast last weekend at New Spring on Sunday morning, and a new springer came up to me, and he just put a mini invite down in front of me, and he said, I'd like to invite you to my church. <laughs> he said, we're in a series right now. It's called Gifts, and it's the biggest thing our pastor has ever done. <laughs> I said, well, I've heard he's up and down, so. Uh. <laughs> now, here's the thing. We don't have any more of these left. You're, if the people in the first three services have, have jumped up. But here's what we do have. We have 2,500 of these left. And these are Christmas Eve invitations to Kids World. And, and the thing about Christmas Eve for us is really big because we have full Kids World experiences. So here's the thing. If you know someone you would like to invite to Christmas Eve, go ahead and give them one of, this, one of these because it has the service times on it. If they've got kids, it'll, you couldn't do anything better. But even if they don't have kids, just say, hey, you know, you've heard about Abraham and Sarah. Um, if they're, you know, up in... <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> uh, one way or the other, it'll be, it'll be helpful, okay, because it's Christmas Eve times. And, and I just want to encourage you to be here. They are, Christmas Eve is my favorite service of the year because it's just a wonderful time to celebrate Christmas 
and yet do it in a way that's intentional and substantial. You know, we don't, we don't just sing a few ditties, light a candle, and get out of here. I mean, this is a, this is a full bore New Spring experience. Okay, enough of that. I, when I knew I was going to do this series, I really looked forward to this weekend because I get to talk about one of my favorite characters in all of history. Uh, several years ago, you, you, you old-timers like me can remember when Michael Jordan was in his day playing for the Bulls that he advertised for Nike, and there was a popular commercial there for a while that said, be like Mike. And I bought the, I bought the sneakers, but I couldn't be like Mike. But in any event, that was like, that, I, thought that was a, I thought that was a cool theme, because be like Mike. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about somebody that you can be like. And I'm going to talk to you about a woman, but if you're a guy, you still want to be, you want the qualities that she had. We, we all want to be like this extraordinary figure in history, and her name is Mary. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about Mary and what made her the rock star in heaven's terminology or what made her the special person that she is. Could I just take a few moments and kind of press a gentle area? One of the, you guys know I'm not a religious person. A religion just sort of gets, gets me wrong because one of the problems I have with religion is most of the time you've got a group of guys sitting around in a room making it up as they go along. And when I open the Bible, I find that God's message to me is just so simple and it, and it makes so much wonderful sense. A mythology has sprung up around Mary and all of a sudden we begin to attribute to Mary things that the Bible never attributes to her. For instance, some will call her the queen of heaven. Well, Jesus is king and the church is his bride. There isn't a queen of heaven, but if there was, it would be the church. Um, there are people that feel like Mary is like a saint who intercedes for us. Let me let you know that in the Bible's terminology, anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ is a saint, which is why the books are written to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Thyatira, to the saints at Philippi. I am St. Mark. You are St. Jack, St. Yvette. If you're a Christ follower, you're a saint. So, so clearly, this, the, there, there's not a, like a upper class, upper deck, you know, pre, uh, you know, special box seat Christian that, that has inside pool with God. Listen to what the Bible says. There's one God and one intermediary between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all of us. So if you want to get to God, there's only one person who can connect you. It is the person who is human, who can reach out and touch you with one hand, who is God, who can reach out with the other hand and touch God and bring us together. The only person who's an intermediary, a mediator, is Jesus. And that's what the Bible says. Not Mark, it's just Jesus. Um, probably the one that really creeps me out the most is that somehow Mary was always a virgin. And that didn't come along for a long time because what happened was there was a metastasism. There was a, there was a, um, a mess up among certain Christians by the end of the first century. And they borrowed some stuff from Greek philosophy and they carried out, they were called Gnostics. And the idea was that the body is evil and then some of them even got the idea that sex was bad. I would not want to be a member of that church. But uh, the idea was, well, if that's bad, then clearly Mary and Joseph never got together. But that isn't true because Jesus had brothers, Joe Jr., James, Jude. He had sisters. And the Bibles were clear that Joseph didn't have sex with Mary until Jesus was born. And if you need a translation on that one, you need more help than <clears throat> I can give you. The whole thing for me bringing this up is what I, what I don't like about the mythology is it, is it obscures a much better story. It obscures what really made Mary the great person that she was. Mary is somebody that you should get to know. You know, 
through my years of teaching and preaching, um, I've had a passion. I want you to understand that the people in the Bible are just like you and me. You know, you don't want to put halos around their head. I mean, hopefully when you read these, about these characters in the Bible, you don't hear organ music and see them in stained glass. These are real-life flesh-and-blood men and women who had the same kind of issues that you and I had. If you took them to Bradley Fair, got them modern clothes, took them to the Gap, they'd look just like you and me. Okay? And that's Mary. Mary is not some sort of superhuman. She was a special person who, because of the way she lived her life, is an example for all of us and somebody that you and I should get to know. Our series is called Gifts. And each week we've looked at a different part of the Christmas story and we've seen that some aspect in the life of, of individuals in the, in the nativity scene that show us a gift that God has for us. Like the first week we talked about the wise men and God's gift of joy for you. And then the second week I really enjoyed talking about Joseph and God's gift of purpose. And how he gives us the gift of purpose and installments of opportunity. And when we seize the moment and embrace those opportunities, we're able to look back and say, yeah, I really did have a reason for living. God gave me the gift of purpose. Now, last week, I had a good time talking to you about the shepherds and the gift of peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. But today, when I talk to you about Mary, I need to let you know right up front that this is a gift that you may not want. At the end of the day, you might want to just leave this one under the tree. Because some of you will, and others of you, on the other hand, like me, are going to say, I don't know that this isn't my favorite gift of all, okay? Did you ever get a gift that came with responsibilities? Did you ever get a gift that came with um, accountability or a gift that came with challenge? For instance, instead of somebody giving you a picture, they gave you a set of paints. Or instead of someone giving you an object, they gave you the tools to build that object. Or some of you remember when you were a kid and your parents gave you a puppy and they said, now you got to take care of him. Or a pony, now you got to brush her and feed her and take care of her. And, you know, there are gifts that come with responsibilities. And the, when we look at Mary, it's, it's a wonderful gift, but it's a gift that comes with responsibility. And here it is. It is the gift of favor, favor. Now, right out of the box, that's going to mess with some of us because in our minds, favor is like special opportunity. You know, if you're the favorite kid, you get by with stuff. If you're favored, then you get special, get special privileges that other people don't have. And I think that when we read about people in the Bible, and the Bible's real clear about this, you know, God loves us all, but there are some men and women who get special favor. We need to understand that it doesn't have anything to do with them getting luck or special you know, special things that they get to duck out of favors something completely different. Well, before I get started, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about how differently heaven looks at things in the way we look at things down here? Or how differently heaven looks at people and we look at people? We're, we're so attracted to celebrity. You know, I know how we are. If a very famous politician walked in the back door, we would turn around and gawk. A president or a senator or a cabinet member. Or if an entertainer, somebody from, from your favorite show, if they walked in the back door, you know, we would turn around and look and we would be, you know, you'd, be, you'd get your phone out right now in church and don't tell me you wouldn't. You'd be texting, do you know who's at New Spring today? I remember about three years ago, we had a rock legend come to New Spring. And not only is he, you know, 
Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame solo artist, but he was part of an iconic group. And man, I remember the day I got my driver's license. I turned up, I mean, I remember being the first time in my car by myself. I turned up the stereo as loud as it could go, and I listened to his hit song. And I looked as he was right here at New Spring. I mean, I talked to him out in the hallway. I said, hi, I'm Mark. And he told me his first name. And I got to be honest with you, that was cool. I told my friends, do you know who was at New Spring today? And that's sort of how we look at things. But how do you know that you're not sitting beside a rock star in heaven's point of view? Or that your kid right now, back in kid's world, how do you know that he or she's not in the presence of someone who is a rock star from the way heaven looks at it? I set that up so that we can ask the question, how do you think people in Mary's day would have looked at her? I don't think they would have. I think they would have walked right past her. She was a poor girl from a poor town. She wore poor clothes. Mary didn't wear Prada or Gucci. She's just an ordinary girl. She came from a poor family. And not only that, she lived in Nazareth. Nazareth was nowhere. From the religious and political perspective, it was the last place anybody would want to live. Nobody important came out of Nazareth. Roll the, t- roll the clock forward. 30 years from now, when Jesus is picking this team, Jesus picked a guy named Philip. And Philip was so pumped because he had we had discovered the Messiah. So he went and found his brother Nathaniel, and he said, Nathaniel, we have found the one that the Bible talked about. It's Jesus from Nazareth. You remember what Nathaniel said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, I don't know where you think is the most nowhere place in Kansas, where nobody important comes from, where nobody would want to stay overnight. Just put some idea in your head right now, and that's where Mary was from. She was from nowhere, a nobody from nowhere. People would have walked right past her. They would have seen her folding laundry. They would have seen her going to work. They would have seen her doing all kinds of things. And they would have just walked right past her. Could I ask you a personal question for a moment? Do you ever feel like that you have personal value that other people don't discover? I mean, it could be that you think, I don't know why at work they always have me doing this when they really could have me doing this because I'm really good at this? Or do you have personal traits about you that you think really are very special, but they never seem to be discovered? And if so, the reason I ask the question is, I think if you feel that way, you have a soul sister in Mary. Because because although she was part of the ordinary hoi polloi, ordinary people that nobody would watch, Mary was a very special person. I want you to listen in Luke chapter 1 to how heaven saw her. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I mean, Mary is going to ask in a moment, why me? Why, why would you want me to do this incredible job? And Gabriel comes to her and says, Mary, the way we look at it in heaven, you are highly favored. Well, right out of the box, that excites me for three reasons. I mean, this is my fourth time to bring this talk, and I still get chills every time I think about that expression, highly favored. First off, I get excited because I think about the moment that's going down here. You do realize our first parents, Adam and Eve, surrendered kingdom authority over to the archenemy of God, Satan. God made a perfect world. He put his first man and woman in the world. He wanted a big family. God put them in a perfect environment. And basically, Satan came along, made them a sales pitch. They flipped God off, and they surrendered over the kingdom authority 
to the dark side. And from the very beginning, God had a plan to rescue us, to bring us back. That's what Christmas is all about. It's a rescue plan. And so from the very beginning, God made a promise that he was going to send the one to rescue the human race, and that person would be both God and human at the same time. The very first time God made that promise that he would send his special person into the world, do you know who he was talking to? Go back in your mind to the Garden of Eden. Think about this. The very first time God said, I'm going to send my special person, who do you think he was talking to? Was it Adam? Was it Eve? This will blow your mind. It was Satan. The very first time God promised Jesus into our world, he was talking to Satan. Why? Because Satan was standing there with his arms folded. I mean, he had taken the body of a serpent, but he was an angel. I don't know if he had his arms folded or not, but something like that. And, and, and Satan was basically <laughs> laughing at God. Ah, you put your man here, you put your woman here, you, you made your world. Look what they did. They flipped you off. I won. I beat you. You kicked me out of heaven, but I beat you. Never make that speech to God. Because God said, I got a surprise for you, Satan. And then he's, look at this. This is in Genesis 3.15. It's the first verse in the Bible that promises Jesus. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. This is the reason why Jesus had to be virgin born. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, oh, man, I can't believe in that virgin born stuff because that's biologically impossible. Hence the point. But it's a larger point than God just doing something for the cool factor. It was very important for Jesus to be human and God at the same time. And what we've seen from Scripture is the sin nature is passed down by the Father. I remember teaching that because all the women thought it was a great teaching that day. You knew it. The man passes down the sin nature. And so God said to Satan, I'm going to put hostility between you and the offspring of the woman. And I love this. You know, Satan had taken taken the body of a snake to do his work. And God said, you will strike at his heel, and he'll stomp your head. 750 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah came along, the prophet, and he gave an update. In Isaiah 7, verse 14. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when, when Gabriel goes down to tell Mary, Mary, you're going to be pregnant, and you're going to bear a son, and this son is going to change the world, I get chills because I'm thinking about, wow, this is the time. It's going down. I get chills because, number two, it was Mary. Don't you know, all these thousands of years when all these promises were working about Jesus, they're all over the Old Testament. For instance, when the wise men came, freaked Herod out, Herod said, where is he supposed to be born? And he called in the Bible scholars because Herod knew there's a verse in the Bible that says where he's supposed to be born. And the scholars looked up Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that said he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah wrote that 500 years before Jesus was born. So you get all these promises about Jesus coming into our world, and, and they knew there was going to be a virgin. There's going to be a special woman who's going to have a baby, and this baby is going to be God and man at the same time. Don't you know people wondered who, who she was going to be? Would she be a princess? Would she be the daughter of a prominent rabbi? But instead it's Mary. Just this girl who lives in the wrong place to live, not connected to any power source. Poor girl. It's Mary. But guys, here's an important truth for all of us today. God looked past our circumstances and he saw our heart. Aren't you glad God does that? Let me ask you a question. 
Have you ever noticed that when your circumstances tend to tank, people start discounting you? You know, if, if you've got a high-paying job and life is good and you're in good health and you're the life of the party, well, you've you got a price. I mean, people look at you as being worth a lot. But some of you know what it's like to lose your job. But you're, 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 the economy is just so bad that your job dried up and blew away. And, and your friends love you, but you know what it's like to be around people that will start marking you down? Or your health can tank and there will be people that will mark you down? Values going down? Or your marriage can break up? Somebody will mark you half off? You know what that's like? That's the way the world values people. But aren't you glad that there is a God who can look past your circumstances and see what's really in your heart? In fact, you could be here today and you could say, Mark, my whole world is spinning out of control. But God still knows what's in your heart. He knows what, what's really important. And he saw, he looked through circumstances and he knew what was in Mary's heart. Third reason I get chills is just those words, highly favored. I have a vivid imagination. It kind of runs away with me sometimes. But up in heaven, I sort of imagine that there's a, you know, this is kind of dated now because we live in an electronic age. But I sort of see in my mind, you know, this big filing system where all of us have a file folder in heaven. And God is looking for people. He's looking for guys and gals to do his work. And I sort of imagine that these file folders are stamped like the CIA or like, like some team of experts who are looking for somebody to do their work. And, and, and you can sort of see Mary when Gabriel comes and says, Mary, you're the one. You're chosen. And Mary is saying, why me? And Gabriel said, because up in heaven, your file folder is stamped highly favored. When God went looking for somebody, he pulled Mary's file, and it said highly favored. Yeah, I'm not trying to have fun with that commercial, what's in your wallet. But let me ask you a question, Christ follower. What's stamped on your folder? Now, don't tell me what you do or how much money you make or what you drive. I'm asking you in heaven, what's stamped on your folder? If God wanted somebody to do something today, what would be stamped on your folder? Hopefully, it's something like prepared for major assignments or always faithful. Hopefully, it's not something like tenderfoot, quits easily, part-time, available only one hour Sunday, <laughs> novice, has not studied manual. Or AWOL. What's stamped on your folder today? Well, it could be that there's somebody here to say, okay, Mark, I, I'm, 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 I'm pumped. I want to be like Mary. I want always faithful or I want highly favored on my manual. Well, here's the good news for you as I just sort of bring this sermon in for a close. Every single one of us could be highly favored. It is a gift. In fact, the word favored means gifted. Every one of us could have this highly favored status as long as we're willing to take on three responsibilities. You ready? Number one, be available. God's not necessarily looking for Mensa people or people who rocked out on their SAT. That's okay. I mean, God can use geniuses. He used a guy like Paul. And, and God's not necessarily looking for rich people, although the Bible says if you're rich, be rich toward God. Use your resources to leverage them for the kingdom to come. I'm personally thankful that God's not looking for beautiful people. God's looking for available people. 
You say, well, Mark, I'm available to God. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you do, let, let's just look, let's look at Mary's story for a moment. Suppose God came to you, and I know he's not going to come to you visibly or audibly or anything, but let's just suppose that in some sort of fashion, God came to you and said, I have a job for you today, and it is going to be the biggest thing that you've ever done. It may be the biggest thing that any human being has ever done. I picked you. You're highly favored. You're my choice. I want you to do this huge job that will forever change the world. The only thing is your family's not going to understand and it could jeopardize your marriage because your partner might not be able to understand. And on top of that, it could ruin your reputation because only you and I are going to know the circumstances and people are going to look at you kind of funny. And beyond that, it could bring some really down days into your life. What if God came to you like that? I want you to do a job that could change the world, but it could bring you some difficulties. How many of us would say, God, this is not a real good time for me. Get me after the first of the year. Or, or, God, I thought being highly favored meant I got special privileges and I got to duck out of stuff. See, Mary was highly favored because she was available. Now, quick, I don't want you to get the idea she wasn't human. I don't, I don't, I don't want you to see Mary with a halo around her head, you know, being some sort of super Christian. I mean, Mary had the same challenges that you and I have. I mean, in Luke 1.29, when the angel told her, the Bible says, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Those are interesting words, confused. I mean, she was like a, a thunderstorm going on that couldn't stop, and, and it meant that it was all through her. It wasn't compartmentalized. Her whole body, from her head to her toes, was confused and disturbed. Ladies, you can understand if you're a virgin and a guy came to you and said, you're going to be pregnant. I'd freak you out. And Mary was. And then she asked a question that all of us would ask in Luke 134. Mary asked the angel, but how? So I want you to know she's not, she's flesh and blood. She's not some sort of super Christian with supernatural powers on her own. She is an ordinary person. But here's the thing I love about Mary. When the chips were down, well, just read this with me. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Yeah, she freaked. Yeah, she had questions. But when the chips were down, Mary said, I'm all in. Mary pushed all the chips in the middle of the table and bet on God. She said, God, I'm all in. Are you all in? I'm not talking about are you all in your career or are you all in a particular fashion style? I'm asking you when it comes to God, are you all in? Whatever God has for you, are you available. I, I want to read this to you because I wrote this carefully. Mary wasn't highly favored because she reacted this way. She was asked because God knew she would respond this way. Let me read that one more time. Mary wasn't highly favored because she reacted that way. She was asked because God knew she would respond that way. Now, I don't want to be flip about this, but I think up in heaven, God was elbowing the angels saying, that's my gal. I knew she was going to do that. I knew that before I asked her. She's got that inner gear work. She's available. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. You just need to be available. Number two, live carefully. One of the things that troubles me about 21st century America is a lot of people live really carelessly. They're careless about the people they choose to hang with. They're careless about their sex life. They're careless about entertainment. Careless about the way they throw money around. There's a verse in the Bible that says in Ephesians, this is Ephesians 5, so watch your step, use your head, 
Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. So somebody can say, well, Mark, how do you know that Mary lived carefully? That's a two-inch pot. Luke 1.26, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin. Mary made some choices. She's a teenager. She had the same temptations every other teenager has. But Mary made some choices. And she decided to live carefully. And as a result, God highly favored her. I'm really careful here at this point because there's some of you who could say, but Mark, I've got things in my past that I can't change. Does that mean that God can never use me? Mark, there was a time in my life I didn't live, maybe, maybe up till last night. Maybe you could say, Mark, I haven't lived carefully. I've lived carelessly. There's so many things I love about God. I can keep you here till next week telling you all the things I love about God. But do you know what I love best about God? God is the only one who will let you start over. God is the only one who will let you start fresh. I mean, even if you start over, the people who love you will still remember what you've done wrong. But God will let you start over. So, okay, maybe you've lived carelessly up till, till, till now. Okay, that's it. This is it. Draw a line. This is it. From now on, I'm living carefully. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1. How awesome is our God. If we confess our sins... Okay, let's stop there for a moment. The word confess, there's two Greek words that are jammed together. Homo, H-O-M-O, which means the same. Lego, legais, which means to speak, to say the same thing. God is saying, if we will say the same thing about our sin that he says. Well, that's an issue for 21st century Americans. Because we don't sin anymore. We make mistakes. That's a much more sanitized word, isn't it? I made a mistake. No, making a mistake is spilling milk. Sleeping with somebody who's not your wife, that's not, that's not a mistake. That's a sin. And so that, you understand, this is what God is saying to us today. He's, God is saying, look, don't, don't mess with me. If you want to come to me, don't play games with me. But if you will come to me, and if you will call your sin what it is, then look at this promise. He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. Now, if there was a period right there, that would be an awesome verse. Forgiveness means we're released from the legal ramifications of what we've done wrong. That would be like if you've done something wrong and you were acquitted. If we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sin, like if I say, God, I'm sorry, I lost my temper, I got angry, I said some really bad things, I'm, I'm ashamed of that. God, it is what it is, I did what I did, I own up to it, I own it. God, you know, some, somebody could say, I lusted, somebody could say, I lied, somebody could say, I slept with somebody who I shouldn't have slept with. I, God, I, made, I did some really dumb things and I sinned against you. I'm calling it what it is. I'm not sugarcoating it. God, here's what it is. And the Bible says if we do that, he will release us from the legal ramifications of what we have done. If the period was there, that would be a verse that should make us do cartwheels, but it doesn't stop there. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
In fact, the Bible has said that God would forget what we've done wrong. That, see, what's the most powerful substance the world has ever known? Is it what they make nuclear wef- weapons out of? No. The most powerful substance the world has ever known is the blood that flowed out of Jesus because the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin, washes it away. In the Psalms, the Bible says, so far has he moved our sins from us. It says the east is from the west. In other words, it's in, in infinity. I'm talking to Christ followers here today. You've told God what you did wrong. You've asked him to forgive you something that you did 10 years ago, and you keep going back, keep going back, keep going back, and God is saying, I'm sorry, I have no memory of that. I tell you that today because when I tell you that you should live carefully, some of you could say, okay, I'm out of the, I'm out of the game. I've done stuff in my past that I can't undo. No, you're not out of the game. Well, if you'll be available... And if you'll ask God for forgiveness and ask God to cleanse you, he will wash the sins away and it will be as if you never did it. How awesome. That's, this is why we sing about God. This is why we worship him. This is why we don't put Jesus on the shelf among other world leaders. Nobody but Jesus can make you that offer. Number one, be available. Number two, live carefully. Number three, get ready to accept testing. You know, when God told Mary through Gabriel that she was going to have a baby, it, it does strike me that he didn't tell everybody else. It sure would have come in handy if God had just done some sort of anachronistic thing and written it in the sky with an airplane. Mary's baby is from heaven. That would have helped. For one thing, nobody would seen an airplane before. <laughs> I mean... God didn't even tell, he didn't even confirm the truth at first to Joseph. There was, a, there was actually a time where Mary, Mary had to go tell Joseph, and, and then there was a season of time where Joseph was mulling over, does he get rid of Mary, or does he, what does he do, and he decides to get rid of her quietly. I mean, it would have been nice if God had told Joseph. As easy as not, God could have told Mary in front of the whole town, so that when Mary carried out her pregnancy, there wouldn't be whispers about her reputation. At least God could have told Mary in front of Joseph. Have you ever thought about that? He could have spared her that difficulty. As I've said for the first three times I've delivered this message, I'm trying really hard not to make this personal. But in 35 years of pastoring and 27 years nearly of leading New Spring, I've had the responsibility of being a leader, and I've always been a risk taker. And I'm not smart, but I've tried to follow God. And I'll just tell you that one of the challenges, and this isn't just true in my world, it's true in your world if you're a leader. Leaders have to be out there on the front edge. And there were times when God would lead me to do something and everybody around me would just about would say, well, Mark has lost his mind. Now, in time, everybody would look back and say, oh, yeah, that was great. God was all over that. But it, wasn't, it didn't help me. It didn't go back into that moment and make my life easier. And honestly, there were times when I, I, I said, God, you know, why don't you make this a little more available to everybody else? Why is it you're just like putting me in this pressure cooker and nobody really understands and I'm just trying to follow you and I'm catching all this grief because of it. I mean, I sort of understand how Mary could have said, um, Gabriel, would you mind, my, my boyfriend lives right down there. Could you go talk to him and tell him this? And I could be talking to somebody right now and People don't understand, and you're just trying to follow God. You're just trying to obey God. And it's like everybody around you is thinking, what is wrong with her? Is God just mean? 
Does he do that on purpose? Does he set up in heaven and yuck it up because he puts us in a tough spot? No. There's a genius to it. See, highly favored people are most always ordinary people who are asked to do superordinary things. Highly favored people are natural people who are asked to do supernatural stuff. Think, what's the one quality that we have to have? If I'm an ordinary person asked to do superordinary things, if I'm a natural guy asked to do supernatural things, what is it that I must have more than anything else? Real simple, I must have a connection and a dependence on the one who can do through me what I cannot do for myself. And so God sometimes will allow me to be in a circumstance like Noah, who only had a window in the top of the ark where he can't see anything but God. God will allow us to be in a circumstance where the only person we have to cling to and hold on to is the one who has the power to make us able to do what he's asked us to do. And so he gives us a crash course and he trains us by going through testing. It's roughly the difference between being a sailor and a Navy SEAL. It's roughly the difference between being a soldier and special ops. That's why Joseph in the Old Testament went to prison, and Daniel went to the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the furnace, and Esther had to risk her life to save her people. God brought everybody out. God delivered them. God did what he did. And we look at these as legends, as heroes and heroines. But there was a season where God allowed them to go through challenge so that they learned to depend only upon him. <laughs> well, I was born at night, but not last night. And I know what somebody's out there thinking. Mark, I don't think I want that gift. We'll just leave that baby under the tree, this highly favored thing. If, I, if I'm going to have to be available and live carefully and be tested, I'll just take peace and call it Christmas. Before you leave the gift under the tree, you might want to think about three things that come with the gift. Let's read them. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28, the angel comes to Mary and says, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, don't read that too quickly because the fact of the matter is every Christ follower here, the Lord is with you. The Lord is present with you. This is a different kind of with. This is Mary. If you accept this assignment, the Lord is with you. You are synced up with him. You're in for the ride of your life, and the Lord is going to be there with you. You are working with him, and he is working with you. That's why the Bible calls us co-laborers together with God. It's like, Mary, if you accept this responsibility, this is more than just a garden variety, God being with us, and I can pray. This is God synced up with you where you feel his presence, and you know in your gut what you're doing is God's plan for your life. Again, I don't want to make this personal. I, I, I'll talk about the next thing in a moment, miracles that God has done, supernatural things in my life. There have been so many times in, in this church, in leading, leading New Spring, where if God didn't, you know, pull our chestnuts out of the fire, we were dead. And we asked God for the impossible, and God did miraculous things for us. I could keep you here telling you stories for a long time. And I remember there would be times when I would be on my knees before God. I wouldn't sleep during the night because I'd be praying, God, please do this for New Spring Church. And then it would happen. 
or something in my own personal life, I would ask God, and God would come along and do what only God could do. Let me ask you to think with me for a moment. When that happened, and it's happened so many times, do you know what I celebrate most? It's not the answer to the prayer. It's not the miracle that God did. What I celebrate most is God, that God knows Mark Hoover, that God knows where I live, that God cares about what I care about. That's the thing. It's not the answer to the prayer. It's that God is there. And it's, he's so tangible, I can't feel him, but it's as if I can feel him. And I can't hear him audibly, but it's as if I can hear him. The thing that I, I, I it's like I'll, I'll, the answer to prayer that is so wonderful that I've been thinking about, it's almost as if I will walk away from that for a moment and worship and say, God, just thank you that you care about me and that you love me and that you're here. Before you walk away from this highly favored gift, you might ought to hear the echo of Gabriel's words to this very ordinary girl who was asked to do a super ordinary thing when he said to her, Mary, God will be with you. Number two, for people who are highly favored, Luke 137, nothing is impossible. If you sync up with God, you're not relegated to live according to the law of averages. You don't have to live according to norms. If you're highly favored, you're living in the world of the impossible. Mary Alice is always saying she's going to write a book someday called I Had a Front Row Seat for All the Miracles. And that's true. And I'm trying not to make this personal because this is not about me. I just, I just want to tell you, I have tasted what I'm talking about here today. I have gotten to live just a little bit of what this is. And I'm telling you, this is an extraordinary gift. You don't want to leave it under the tree. For people who are highly favored, nothing is impossible. When you're on assignment, if you are God's woman in God's time doing God's job, nothing can touch you, nothing can stop you. There will never be a resource that you need that God will not, not supply. If you're God's woman in God's time doing God's job, you are unstoppable. If you're God's man in God's time doing God's assignment, you are untouchable. Nothing is impossible. God is with you. Nothing is impossible. And number three, highly favored people are heavily rewarded. They're highly compensated. That's true in this life. I mean, think about what Mary got to do. I mean, how many, how many women could say they rocked Jesus' sleep when he's a baby? She got to watch him grow up, all, like, all kind of cool stuff. She got to watch him do miracles. My favorite one is the first one because they went to a wedding. It was one of Mary's family members, we believe. Scholars believe it was one of her family. You ever get embarrassed for something that goes wrong for a family celebration? So Mary's at this wedding. It's probably a relative, it's a relative of hers. They run out of wine. And so Mary turns to her 30-year-old son, Jesus, and said, they're out of wine. And Jesus said, it's not my time yet. Can you hear a mother coming out? She goes to the steward, just do what he tells you to do. <laughs> she says, all right, just bring a bunch of buckets and fill them up with water. 
Can you see Mary at that moment? It was like, you know what? God didn't ride at the sky, didn't tell Joseph for a while, but it was worth every bit of it to see this. She got to watch him touch people who were blind and see them become sighted. She got to watch him touch people who were paralyzed and see them walk again. Mary got to be at funerals that got broken up because of her son. He was rough on the funeral business. And yeah, she went through grief as Simon foretold. Simeon, rather, when Jesus died on the cross. She was there when he came out of the grave. Mary was there when the church began. So, yeah, she got to lead a wonderful life. But here's the thing, guys, and we don't talk enough about this, and I'm in overtime, so I have to run this real fast. Do you realize that every one of us who is a Christ follower is going to stand before God in a judgment? But it's not a judgment to see whether we go to heaven. That's taken care of by Jesus on the cross. He was judged for our sins. When we put our faith and confidence in him, that's settled. So if you're a Christ follower, you're never going to be judged as to whether you go to heaven or not. That's already settled. It's an award ceremony. And God is going to reward us for what we've done for him. That's going to be cool. We'll all be there, and we'll get to see each other get our rewards. And here's the thing. Somebody can say, well, I don't really care about rewards. Don't say that. Because you care about stuff here. I mean, here's the deal. If somebody gave you a new car today, you'd be all excited about that. Five, three years from now, it's just going to be the car. Fifteen years from now, it'll be part of a bridge somewhere. Here's the thing, if we care about stuff here in a world that passes away and we're all going to die and put it all back in the box, if we care about stuff here, how much more are we going to care about stuff in a place that lasts forever? It'll, it'll be fun to watch that. And I think it'll be stuff that matters. I think it'll be stuff that we enjoy. Jesus knows what we like. He's going to prepare a place for us. So at this award ceremony, he knows what we're into and he knows how to reward us. I'll probably be in the cheap seats but can you imagine, there's a moment that I look forward to at that, at that moment. I can't wait for Jesus, for Jesus to call Mary's name. The Bible says God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. I don't think there will be a dry eye in the house. Can you see that moment in heaven where Jesus calls Mary forward and he puts his arm around, his arms around his mother, the woman who was his mother on the earth. And I guarantee you, she's in for some nice parting gifts Highly favored people are heavily rewarded. All right, that's my talk. Let me ask you a question. First of all, I, I hinted at this all throughout the message. Have you ever begun a relationship with God? you have any idea how much God loves you? Oh, I hate religion because religion says if you jump through hoops and you get God's acceptance. Do you know that God loves you unconditionally already? God knows your name. God loves you so much, he was willing to put his beloved son on a cross and punish him, brutally punish him, so that you wouldn't have to be punished. And so the blood of his son could cleanse you from all sin. If you don't have a relationship with God, I have the most wonderful news today, and that is to tell you it is a gift, and it's a gift that comes freely. The Bible says, if you will believe, that's the word the Bible uses over and over, if you will believe Jesus died for you, if you believe he rose from the grave, the word of God promises you that God will save you and make you his child, adopt you into his family. Say, so Mark, how do I get it? You just ask. I'll tell you what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And this is a prayer that just asks for this relationship. These aren't magic words. God looks on your heart. Remember, he looks past your circumstances and sees your heart. By that, I mean you're, you're, in, you're in a person. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life, you can pray it with me. I can't think of a better time of the week before Christmas, huh? How about that? Let's pray it right now. Dear Jesus, 
I know I've done wrong. I'm calling it what it is. I'm a sinner. And I can't save myself. Can't even stop doing the dumb things I do. But I believe you love me. And I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe your blood paid for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. And today, I put all my confidence in you. Not in myself, not in my religion. I put all my confidence in you, Jesus. Forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen.